Welcome to Everything Imaginable, a podcast for curious minds. KGRA Radio. Welcome everyone to an episode of Everything Imaginable. Today we have a very special guest, Dr. Richard Allen Miller. Thanks for coming on. You're bet. My pleasure. And we're going to got an interesting list of things you'd like to talk about today. Yeah, yeah, it's quite a list, isn't it? <laughs> but you've well, been involved in a lot of different things. I have um, a thing I'd like to say before we do anything further. Um, I have a good friend who's a nurse in New York City. She was a uh, military army uh, nurse and a soldier in Afghanistan. And uh, then she uh, uh, became a nurse uh, practitioner. That means uh, one step up uh, in New York City. And what she did is she took a camera and went in and interviewed her, her buddies, uh, compatriots, things of that nature, um, and took pictures. And while the virus is probably real, mm-hmm. the numbers and exposures are absolutely false. I have it posted on Facebook, uh, I think about a week ago, and uh, with Fox News then coming in right behind it, stating that uh, the riots in Portland and Seattle are uh, staged. And uh, I can tell you one thing, I grew up in Seattle, and uh, I'm a Seattle Wazoo boy. I went to Washington State University, went to Pullman, and I know Seattle, and uh, the only person that was ever bigoted in that town was my father, because he was from New York. And he had a name for every single race there was, from Gook, Sloak, Flant, Gook, you know, whatever. He had all these different names. Mm-hmm. Seattle, Seattle never had prejudice. The Central District, or CD, as we called it, um, was where the poor people lived in Seattle. And that was where Garfield High School was, and that's where Jimi Hendrix came out of. Now, in all the years that I've lived in Seattle, growing up as a boy, uh, it was always a small town, it wasn't as it is today, and none of that concept of rioting and prejudice that we see going on uh, ever existed. There's no black inequality in Seattle. It might be on the East Coast. That's the first time I ever encountered it was mm-hmm. when I was doing graduate work at Delaware and the big black uh, uh, bikers came in out of Philadelphia during the, uh, the riots, the Philadelphia riots. And that was the first time I'd ever seen anything like that because Seattle was never like that, never. And I, my doubles partner when I played Davis Cup was Osresh. I must have, you know, he's a better tennis player than me. <laughs> and I have to say, I don't know what's going on in Portland But I just posted something on Facebook just a few minutes ago uh, from Minneapolis where it's all staged. Now, what's going on? And I don't know, but I will tell you that there's a power play going on between one group and another for America. And we're kind of like in the middle watching all this crap going down and we're being kind of lackadaisical about it. And I think it's time that everybody stand up and say your piece 
because uh, while we might disagree with each other, uh, at least it's honest. Right. I totally it's not, agree. It's not, you know, and that it's honest. And that's, I remember a time when, when the Democratic and the Republican Party wanted the same thing for America. They just wanted to do it differently. Now, exactly. I have no idea what the Republican and Democratic Party are about today. I can tell you that I didn't vote for, for, for Trump. I voted against Clinton. And like I'm going to vote against Biden that hangs out with pedophiles. And um, the quality of offerings that are being given to us in politics is uh, abominable. And no, it's, no, I agree. I agree with you so it's much. Awful. It's I, I don't even vote because I'm, I feel I'm like I'm just being robbed. I'm, I'm not politically astute at all. I, I, I'm a nerd. You know, I'm a little kid. I'm very trusting. Um, when I get raided by some criminal, I'm blown away like a child because I don't think like that. And I'm, I'm just, how dare them? And that's, um, what I had to get off my chest uh, as uh, somebody that, you know, hopefully people find is credible. I, I, I just, I think the whole thing's wrong. Yeah. And it's wrong on both sides, not Trump or Biden. I mean, they're both wrong. And I, I'd rather vote for Donald Duck. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> oh, it's, uh, it's um, I think, well, the problem is, I, I really don't know. I don't know whom to trust anymore. Even the alternative news is sideways. And so, yeah, and I make mistakes uh, all the time, as a matter of fact. What I try not to do is make the same mistake twice. Me and, too. Uh, I've lived a bunch of lifetimes. You know, I'm an agriculturalist, a physicist, a cultist, this or that. Um, I've been very blessed with the kinds of people that I've been allowed to study with all my life. They thought of me as gifted, and yet <clears throat> I didn't have the highest grades in high school, but I lettered in four sports. I broke the uh, state records in several sports when I went to state. <clears throat> I remember I ran a 10-flat 100 over hurdles, and a world record for a 100-yard dash was 9.8, Charlie Green, and that still stands. So I was real fast, but I came in sixth. <laughs> <laughs> There it is, man. I have no illusions that I'm a lead scout, but anything that I will say to you today is not original. Everything I have has come from someone else. I've conglomerated them into my own thing. That's the distinction between studying something and learning something. You don't learn something. What you do is you study it. And you right. integrate it into your own thing, and then it becomes yours. And with that said, I think there are as many religions as there are human beings. And the reason you choose a specific church over some other church is for fellowship to reinforce a value that you're aspiring toward. And uh, Christianity aside... Um, and I'm saying this just qualifying because a lot of people think, oh, he's a Satanist. Huh. I'm not even a Christian. How could I be a Satanist? Satan <laughs> came from Christianity. 
uh, didn't even exist until the Church of Rome invented it. Now, I've done my own studies of the Bible. I spent six years with Gershom Sholem becoming a hermetic Kabbalist. And to do that, I had mm -hmm. to learn Old Hebrew and Greek. I speak Old Hebrew fluently, and I do Greek moderately. And I did my own translations of the Bible, um, for starters, and why I was able to teach a graduate-level course at Harvard for 11 years in metaphysics, biblical. And I have my own ideas of what things are, and I know our limitations, and that's where I wanted to start this conversation. I know that I don't know, because physics does not have the answers. Physics starts off with assumed truths. Yes. Well, before you even get to definitions, like space and time, which are constructs, they're not even real. You know, I'm watching how astrology became astronomy, and where it's going to go is cosmobiology, which is what it was doing in Prague in the 70s. A lunar sex cycle of the female, when the woman is born, the phase of the moon sets her ovulation cycle. And if she moves to a different part of the Earth, that, that phase angle changes. And the study I did on cosmobiology related with a three sigma error coefficient. That means a 99.99975% probability that when the planet Uranus and the Earth and the Sun are in a specific geometric alignment, there will be a major earthquake on Earth. And what I did is a 360 going back through time to vet and prove that. Now, that's where our concepts of space uh, are limited because we assume that you know, space and time are real, and they're not. For example, if you presume that the shortest distance between two points is a straight line, I can prove the Earth's round. However, if space is curved, I can prove it's flat. Now, is it flat? It just kind of goes like this piece of paper, right? Ooh. Well, and that's it. Now, is it flat or round? The correct answer oh, it's is flat, then it's round. No, yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> the correct answer is yes. If you choose to look at it this way, these doors are available for reality. If you choose to look at it that way, those doors are available. And what made God's favored, us God's favored, is choice. And that's why a Buddhist can be a Christian, and a Christian cannot be a Buddhist. Hmm. Certain doors in terms of your belief systems, lock you into realities that are limited. And so I'm going to suggest that what I did as a protocol, using that concept as a metaphor, I trained Navy SEALs how to change a belief system like they would a pair of clothing. You don't necessarily get rid of your Christianity when you're going into Afghanistan, but it'd be like wearing a sweater in summer. Yeah. You fold it up, favorite sweater, belief system, put it away in your drawer for appropriateness. And sometimes pulling it out as an absolute is missing the forest in the pointless forest. <laughs> All right. Your turn. My <laughs> I, turn. I wanted to get some ground rules of where I'm going. I, I, actually, you know, when you were talking about the Portland and the COVID thing, I heard you on another 
podcast and you mentioned something about pension funds. About which? Pension funds. Like people's oh, pensions uh, disappear. Yeah, I think that will be one of the next shoes that drop when we get finished with this uh, coronavirus 19 and it'll be 20 and then 21 because it mutates and was going to be around a long time. I think the next shoe that's going to drop will be pension funds for the old folk. And that's because there's now going to be a move for the Gen X's that take out a whole bunch of old farts like me. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about this COVID-19 thing when we were ta- after we talked on the phone the other day and, you know, about it being pro- probably some kind of biological warfare. And I was thinking, like, maybe, you know how Donald Trump always says it's the China virus? I was thinking maybe what's happening is he imposed those um, tariffs on China. China got pissed off at us and released this virus. No, nah, they're just doing seed. Um, <laughs> um, really, it's about uh, money. <laughs> For example, <laughs> well, uh, if everybody's going to be required immunization. Mm-hmm. Uh, how much money is that involved? A lot. How much? A lot. More than I can calculate. <laughs> That's correct. It's so big. They absolutely want to do it. But, but that's just only exhibit number one, just like 9-11. Anything you could possibly imagine going on is not only going on, you can count on that part. There's even more that you haven't even considered yet. And how did they put it in that one movie I was watching? Oh, yeah. Nothing is coincidence in politics. Mm. And that's that as an axiom. So um, it's time for us, each of us, to not be so complacent anymore and, and, and stand up for what you believe in. And if it's against me, I allowed you for that because I know I don't know. And I might learn something from you. (laughs) Well, no, I, I, I I, I I theorize. That's what I do. Just like you, you know, I, I I try to put pieces together and whether it's right or wrong, I have no clue. I, but you if you go with your gut, your first thought, your, I feel something's wrong here. That is the first thought you have is always the most correct because it's instinctual. And when you come from instinct, you don't make mistakes by definition. Yeah. And that's what I tried to train a seal. To be a superman, you use your belief as a tool. And when it's not functioning correctly, it's because you're, it's not the tool for that job. You need that over there. Crowbar. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah, so, you know, you mentioned, like, becoming, like, Superman or like um, more than human. And that kind of brings me into segues right into the topic that I originally asked you to come on for, but then obviously I've added 15 more topics to that list. But um, about the psychedelics. I'm um, just adjusting my camera a little bit. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to talk a little bit about, you know, using the mushrooms and DMT to open doorways to, I guess, what we would maybe call today, like the quantum field? Um, multiverse, yeah. yeah. Um, 
that's a theory and is popular right now, like Mandala and uh, Smokey the Bear as a Smokey Bear. Smokey was never a bear. Smokey the Bear is the way I remembered it as a child. How does it change? Comic books, uh, takeoffs on comic books. Only you can prevent forest fires. Hey, kids, what time is it? Ah, now you're getting the idea. Different generations have different ways of hearing. And that alone starts up the concept of timelines. Of, oh, gee, I, I remembered it used to be, um, you know, Luke, I am your father. Not Father Luke, I'm your son, or whatever he was, that gay. Um, timelines aside, time is a duration of consciousness. It also is not real any more than space. It's a limited part of what man's able to comprehend as a limited individual. That's why one would say that whatever you conceive of as God is only halfway to God, and probably what you're capable of achieving this lifetime if you used your full potential, and that's only halfway to God. Yeah. God is not knowable. You can only experience him. Like when I would ask you, what color is that fence over there? And you look over and you, oh, it's brown. You just made an assumption because you can't really see the other side. And God is so much more, we're more limited. There are mammals on this planet with smaller brain cases like a dog that are closer to spirit than man. I've watched an elephant in Cambodia paint itself, you know, painting itself on a thing and depicting an awareness of self and the way other things see it over you or me and our ability. And then there are four cetacean mammals that have higher technology than man. Dolphin, the bottlenose dolphin, blows these little tiny bubbles called sonoluminescence. It's a form of cold fusion. And they play with it as their art form. And orca has a cerebral cortex, twice the size of man, firing 60% of it. Oh, man can't even comprehend that. That mammal has access to nine-tenths of the biosphere. Man only has one-tenth of, of access. Who's superior? They are. That is. I'm trying to give you some perspective. Quail, when they sing out in the ocean, mm -hmm. have these whale songs, and they're unique for this family and that family. You know what that is? They've now discovered it. They're singing their history as medicine, just like the Navajo and the American Indian. Medicine was an oral tradition like enemy mine, where you right. sang the song to your children on the history of your bloodline. And that's Hebrew, and that's why Kubal, QBL, Kabbalah, is word of mouth. It was oral before it was ever written. And so are many of the Bibles, like Sefer Yetzirah and the Book of Formation, and the way sound and words 
impinged on each other so that when you say the word of God correctly, something more happens. There's, uh, I was in Tibet studying um, Tibetan Buddhism, and uh, they have these big, long horns that are like the kind you see in the Alps. Like a didgeridoo type of thing? Yeah. Okay. When you put 17 of them, excuse me, I think it's 19 of them, in a certain geometric array, it so compresses the air that large objects lift off the ground and push it with a finger. Dolphin. Dolphin. Carl Sagan hired me to go into John Lilly's labs in the late uh, late 60s, early 70s, because of my gift, I was I did code. I see things. I, you know, I'm a code reader, <laughs> and uh, I knew languages. I have a dedic memory, and uh, he wanted to find out if the dolphin had a language. They wanted to use the dolphin as a weapon to guide our missiles into ships, and I was there like 10 days, and realized that dolphin's language was a form of Clifford algebra, dimensional math, their redundancy coefficient was 10 times more efficient than Hebrew. Hmm. And I turns out I was wrong. That's Avram Moles, by the way. Aesthetic uh-huh. perception and information theory. He's a French mathematician that talks about redundancy coefficient in languages. If you catch my drift. And uh, basically, the dolphin don't have a language. What they're doing is sending pictures, holograms. That's a thousand words in one burp. That's <laughs> even way more efficient. Man doesn't even have that concept. No. That didn't back in the 70s when I was studying him. We were only just now. I was starting to develop my concept of the holographic theory of reality. Maybe we could do it with telepathy somehow. We're, we're not probably not good at it. We uh, all have instinct. That's what telepathy is, because instinct is outside space-time. That's why clairvoyance, clairaudience, clairascension, it's always brought into consciousness by one of the five senses. And that's what distorts and contaminates the vision that you have. And because you're trying to take something and bring it into something you know. Now, that's Gregory Bateson. And the concept of metaphor. What is your metaphor? But to serve your paradox. How you make a leap from one dot to the next. And it's arbitrary. That's because lysergic acid amide, that neurotransmitter, is responsible for connecting dots in the brain, the upper brain. And that turns out to be arbitrary, which means imagination is reality and that the laws of physics change with altered states of consciousness. Do you think reality can exist without, I mean, do you think physical reality can exist without consciousness, or consciousness can exist without physical reality? The way Castaneda put it is the nagual is the unspeakable, it's the unknowable, and tonal was what is knowledge, and that's why knowledge was considered illusion, and in the tree of life, there's only one place in the entire tree where knowledge becomes wisdom, and that's just above uh, Kippereth on its way up to Kether in uh-huh. the path 13, 
and a missing sephirah called Doth. And it's where it's a temporary place. It's not, that's why they put it in a little dot, because it's not right. there. It's temporary. That means... It's like the sephirah that's not a sephirah, right? Well, it'd be like you, me coming to a raging stream and without hesitation, leaping out into the stream and touching on a rock under the water that you didn't say, mm -hmm. go to the other side laughing. Doth is a temporary place. Boom, boom. And uh, on path 13. And the two paths, outer paths, that go from the male and female side uh -huh. are the hermit and the lovers. You either do it androgynously or you do it with a reflected mate. And the path that crosses them this one right here, that's humor. You gotta laugh your way through this whole thing. <laughs> well, I can do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a, you can't get serious because it doesn't work like that and you can't get there from here. Things don't have laws. That's an assumption again on men's side and that having to have the audacity to think there's gonna be a big toe theory of everything. You know, like the answer is 42 and the Hitchhiker's Guide, you know, the answer is 42 uh, for the answers of the universe. It isn't that answer. It doesn't work like that. It's more of a metaphor like Simon says you can go only halfway to the door. And what happens is you get closer and closer to the door, but that protocol will never allow you to get to the door because the door doesn't exist. What you're missing is the journey. It's a metaphor again. Yep. And that's the limitation of our ability, mine, to conceptualize and understand what's really going on here. Do you think we'll ever evolve to a point where we are able to conceptualize what's actually happening? Well, no, not in this place. This place is illusion or a dream. So... If cavitation is the true concepts of, of uh, the two brains, like Nibiru and the black hole, white hole, da 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 da, um, cavitation, then death is not the end of things, it's waking up. And the Bordeaux Hadal talk about that place because at the moment of death, you're given one last choice. And that's to either go into the blue light or the tunnel of light where all your friends are waving and things like Kubler-Ross and uh, James Hillman and others talk about, which kind of remind me of a birth canal. And at that moment of death, there's a five-gram weight loss in the body and everyone. What is that? So I... Yeah, nobody knows. I have proposed, it's probably water, structured water, mm -hmm. inside a microtubule, which is a surface outside of the physical body. Hammer off, others have talked about it. We, Dr. Black, Dr. Burgess, Peter Winter, myself, uh, in 1972, in the Department of Anesthesiology, University of Washington, doing the studies on acupuncture, Richard Nixon came up with the concept of a microtubule, a protein molecule that holds water in it, that's structured. Jerry Pollack, still there, was my lead at that time, 
uh, did his fourth phase of water concept, talks about the memory in water. Five grams of structured water is enough memory to hold a million lifetimes. We're in a video game. That, that's way more than um, our silicone chips. Well, gallium arsenide, not silicone. They use gallium and arsenic. Mm -hmm. Okay, gallium arsenide, that forms a forbidden zone. That's where your checksum error theory gets. I did my master's in solid state physics. And I, under R.B. Murray, another Nobel Prize winner. And I can tell you, um, do you know what my master's thesis was? No, what was Measuring it? the excitation emissions of VK center luminescence and gallium arsenide. And let me tell you, it was 10 to the minus 6, 10 to the minus 9. The rise time in electronics was 10 to the minus 6. So tektronics, just for my masters, had to invent a new concept in oscilloscopes called a sampling scope that did pulses. And I was the first to do that. That's my master's. <laughs> you know, that would have been a doctoral thesis in any other university, Delaware. Uh, it was one of the, you know, um, top universities in the world, and uh, all the people there were creepy. We made, I remember one, one summer in grad school, we made 13 infrared to visible light V-days for, for Vietnam. I was there in 1966. 1967, 1968, and I remember all the grad students, each one building one, making these little things for Vietnam. That was my closest I ever got to Vietnam. And uh, because what we had there was a variable Fermi level in your bandwidth so that it would drop down in the checksum error theory and from infrared down into visible as a single operation. Flop those down and you can see in the dark. And that was Delaware, University of Delaware, Newark. I, um, I've been there, done that. I know that I don't know. Um, and when we get into the philosophy concepts of it, physics does not have any more answers than religion and why we have two brains. And at one time, religion, per se, is what we call today religion, was the science. And uh, the Greek, oh, the Greek came in with the whole concepts of archetypes, you know, 22 stories in the big city, like Psyche at the Well of Souls, and Persephone having to go to Hades once a year, mm -hmm. those kinds of metaphors that if, that's a new book I'm writing called The Magical and Ritual Use of Metaphor, Archetypal Gods in Daily Living. Most of us are either possessed we only have one story going on, or we're complex, more than one. <laughs> we have a bunch of different stories going on. Your job using Carol is to identify what stories are going on, because each one has an ending. And if you don't like the ending, and that isn't how you want to do it, that's what pathworking is about, to change the movie. So we do have control. Well, no, control is a fantasy. Uh, remember, this is a dream. 
you don't have control what you have is the moment and what you can try to do is go from the profane and mm -hmm. the sacred where it becomes timeless and when you do that like love making or something of that nature now you're getting a closer concept of what time and space are and what they are not sacred I don't know. <laughs> I didn't mean to be so. Uh... Yeah, yeah, that was cool. Um, so, so I want to go back to like talk, um, the use of like mushrooms and certain types <laughs> of things to, oh, to help help see <laughs> past these limitations of space and time, and even the limitations of our own consciousness to try to get past that, even to just maybe get a momentary glimpse of the truth. When I first discovered that altered states, the laws of physics changes, when I did my ESP studies in 1971 with Ed Mitchell, Mission Control, I realized that I could go to a certain state of consciousness, which was right there, not there, right there, that place right there, your ability in guessing increased 400 times over where you are in a conscious state right here. And if you just went into this little state here, you didn't make mistakes by definition. And that was the first protocol to make Navy SEAL Team One Superman. They didn't make mistakes by definition. Another one I showed you my flutes and all the rest of it, taught them continuous breathing because if you can control breath, you can take your martial arts to a whole nother level of paranormal. The ability to have the precision, Tai Chi. And uh, I had a Sifu that taught me that. I'd had 18 years of Hangal. It's a very rare form of Hangar, Northern Shaolin. I learned that from the Philippines. And then when I was in Seattle, I studied under John Leong. Uh, he had four students. There was Bruce Lee, Skip Ellsworth, Fred Williams, and uh, <laughs> in high school. And when I came out of grad school, I had a Sifu taught Tai Chi out of Vancouver Island up in uh, Victoria. His name was Chan Techung. And uh, they were doing kata. Uh, down at natural Beth, Dr. Beth Steer's naturopathic school of medicine in Wallingford up on the second floor. And I uh, had good friends that are still in touch with that we did Tai Chi together. And the old man looked at me, he didn't speak English. And uh, he said, you, 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 you learn how to walk. And for one year, all I learned how to do was walk. I did double yang style, so if I went this way, then I went that way, two ways. Um, and for a full year, where everybody else had the full kata, the second year, he took me aside and he says, you follow me. And I started following him, we're doing Tai Chi. And all of a sudden, I realized I wasn't doing Tai Chi, I was doing Hanga. I was experiencing it as Tai Chi. He taught me in one moment a secret on how to change your perception of time using breath. And the way I did it was doing it with Tai Chi. The way I taught SEALs 
this continuous breathing using a didgeridoo. And uh, first with a straw and then a didgeridoo and then going to Indian flute, just like they use in Kill Bill. And uh, let me say this, that secret has saved my life many, many times because there are many times when I needed to stop that time and position. I was in a, I was climbing uh, the north face of Stewart when I fell 100 feet into rocks. And I went into a continuous breathing thing. I was with Jim Whitaker and some others, my dad, and uh, we were climbing the north face of Stewart and uh, I fell. And um, I was, I went into slow motion twisting myself so that I fell right into a snowdrift. Went in about six feet. Oh, and, uh, took an hour to dig me out. Oh, I was fine. <laughs> I was lucky. That saved my life because of being able to go into slow motion and change my reality so that I could twist my body and not kill myself by accident. I, I've had other similar situations. I remember a car coming out of control. I was a passenger and uh, driver next to me and we're driving down I-5 up in the north end of Washington and a car came across the median and hit the car in front of me and the car behind me and what I did is I went into slow motion and I just grabbed the wheel and I started move, driving the car to avoid the thing. I, that, that was another time. I just went into it automatically at that point. Once you learn how to work with this from an instinctual point of view, then you're in a place called the flow or the zone, like we call in racing, you know, you're getting right. behind and you don't, you're in the, in the grove. And that place is what we should all be aspiring toward while we talk to each other and we're writing and we're just sitting there watching nature. We should always be trying to go into that moment because that's where it all actually happens. And probably why I've been so blessed all my life because I've had that ability to just stop time for a minute and go do something else. Interesting. Um, do you think people can learn how to do that a little bit just through simple practices like meditation? My Sifu would have kicked you out of his class if you said that. <laughs> study it. <laughs> got to study it because everybody does it differently. That's what part of the secret is. So every person has to find their own way. Yeah, it isn't something there's, you There's no one study. magic pill. You don't, really, you don't really get there. You get closer and closer to it. And uh, I'm not very good at it. But I was good enough to make world champion in double sword, which was the eighth movement, where you extend your chi 30 inches out further with swords. I was real good with sword. I was real good with sword. That's the eighth movement of Tai Chi, by the way, where you do your same kata, but you do it with swords. So I, I know that you also do a lot of work with, with herbs. Uh, one of the things I wanted to ask you about is a fad, especially if it's down here with the CBD oil. Is CBD uh -oh. oil useful? You know, Chuck Walters, 
who is editor of Acres USA, the largest tabloid in the world for alternative agriculture, sustainable agriculture out of uh, Kansas City, Missouri. Uh, his, when he died, I was one of his pallbearers. When he died, uh, his oldest son took it over on Metairie, Louisiana, and now they've sold it to some place in Colorado. But Chuck and I wrote a book on hemp as a virgin white paper. That's where the future of marijuana is. It's not going to be in the high. It's not going to be in the CBDs. It's going to be used as a paper. Right now, what they're using is cottonwood uh, down on the Columbia River where they use the old helicopters, the heli loggers, uh, the coppice, the top 15 feet of, of uh, cottonwood for paper. And hemp is a better, faster, easier grower. And what I'm hoping to do they, during this coronavirus, uh, some legislators opened up some of the spotted owl land that was closed by BLM and others are not loggable anymore. And they have, in the last two months, you know, the economic, mm -hmm. they've butched it here big time. And what I would like to do is rather than start another, sometimes a great notion like Ken and Frank Easy did, with the loggers versus the hippies, what I'd like to do is get to some of the older families like Menasha and Weyerhaeuser and show them that the future is not in logs, but in hemp and growing it as paper. And all the log mills, everything's all equipped to handle that fiber, same as it did paper from logs. And they don't have to log anymore. And actually, with the way 3D printing is going on now, we don't even need to build with wood anymore. And uh, uh, there's a place in Ashland, uh, uh, just um, one mile, one hour from May. Ashland Deliverance runs a place called PacificDomes.com, geodesic domes. I met her in the 70s when I was working with Buckminster Fuller. And uh, uh, that will be why I wrote a, a new, like I wrote the original X-Files, I wrote a thing for Fox that they accepted called the Domes of Mars, where we used geodesic domes buried into soil, with a third of it exposed for the light that comes in and the hurricanes and so on, and probably how we're gonna colonize Mars will be with geodesic domes, 3D mm -hmm. printers, and uh, wormholes. <laughs> hmm. Um, how about aphrodisiacs? <laughs> Making louder and longer orgasms, yeah. <laughs> Elixir vitae. That is what tantric yoga was all about. Because the way my mom put it, use it or lose it. <laughs> <laughs> mom, she's so cool. Uh, you know, <laughs> she, uh, um, when you have sex, uh, and ejaculate into the vagina, there's a rare protein that's formed uh, that is uh, what Ming used to call elixir vitae. If you consume that Eucharist, the male, the female already got it, it's in her body. You consume that Eucharist, that is the very principles of, of uh, the mass of the Holy Ghost and uh, sex magic and tantric yoga. And uh, there are proteins that have uh, stem cells. You know how you can produce stem cells? 
Oh. Anybody? Uh, for living longer? The chill. <laughs> you know, the chill that you do? Yeah. That is the release of stem cells. That's what causes the goosebumps. When you start to recognize these different things that your body goes through, you can, you can do it with your mind's eye. And uh, Ward Dean, Surgeon General for the Marine Corps, wrote a very important book called Biological Aging Mechanisms, Clinical Approach. And uh, he went around to all the different universities in the way they measure immortality or aging. And the conclusion at the end of his book is every single one of them is, re is reversible. Not you can stop it, you can reverse it. <laughs> if we, well, reverse, I, it, if we uh, reverse it, then we don't die. We never get to have that experience. Oh, though. I'm 76. Get a grip, man. I, uh, <laughs> I have scars on my knuckles from dragging them. I, uh, and uh, aphrodisiacs are what prolong that energy. And there is the, the Masonic secret. You know, I can't tell this anymore. <laughs> In my own words, mm -hmm. the thought that occurs at the moment of climax happens. It's the emotional punctuating of something that takes psyche into matter. And that altered state is a neurotransmitter that's dialoguing with subtle bodies outside the physical one, probably chi, what we call structured water and microtubules, where all your memory is for past and future lives, whatever. It's a metaphor. And um, if you learn how to study, if you study how to do that, um, you can be a dirty old man like me. <laughs> <laughs> Where would one go to study such a thing? <laughs> well, I belong to a bunch of blue lodges also. I have, uh, this was my great-grandfather's. Wow. It's got stuff on the other side, too. It was a, it's a lodge in Zurich. Uh, later, it's been today, it's called Waldorf. And uh, it was uh, connected with Rudolf Seiner, but... Steiner started his own thing. He started with my lodge. My great-grandfather was his lodge master. Mm -hmm. And uh, what I, that's not why I'm interested in agriculture. I don't know why I moved to that. I guess after working with military in 1978, I just had had enough. I didn't want to make weapons. I wanted to become a mountain man. And so I moved to the Okanagans and, uh, the only way you could get into my place was with a helicopter. Couldn't even hike in. It was like, <laughs> you had to be dropped in. And I could ski out, cross-country ski out, but it was an effort. And uh, I lived on top of a hill so I could see anything coming in. <laughs> you know, fire one, bang. <laughs> um, then I came to my senses, and uh, I grew up there in the Okanagans when I was there. I had like 40 acres on the Meadow up in Carlton, just south of Twisp. Twisp uh, means yellow jacket, American Indian. And uh, up north of that was uh, uh, Leavenworth and uh, Three-Fingered Jack. We had a bar up there that all the bikers liked to hang out in, you know. 
And uh, I lived over in Republic near Curlew, uh, the Okanagan, Somac. That whole area had a big fire in a log home I built. Thought it was going to be there about 400 years. Made it out of 28-inch dug fur rounds. Big shit. Three-story. And it burnt to the ground about four years ago. And <laughs> you know, I just, oh, you know, I thought it was going to be there forever, and it's gone. Hmm. Um, so what do you think about, like, it sounds like you have a, a pretty good knowledge of the occult and Kabbalah and stuff like that. Um, what do you think about the work of the Golden Dawn? The old Golden Dawn was the bottom line. It had scholars from everywhere. Um, I personally used, uh, Samuel McGregor Mathers was uh, very, very good magician. He and Crowley had a big fight. Crowley went over to America and started his own thing, OTO, Ordo, Templi Orientis, Order of the Temple of the Orient. Golden Dawn back then is not Golden Dawn today. The, what they do today, like Orm Solis is a different one. There were other lodges going on back then. Orm Solis was Leon and Vivian Barshinsky, Denning and Phillips. Uh, there were others lodges coming out of England. Um, what Crowley did, in my humble opinion, was move magic into the 20th century and uh, from 19th century because Hartman and all of those people were working off of old grimoires. Grimoires are books on magic through the centuries like the Malphium, Malficorium, the Grimoire of Honorius and Armadel and all the rest of them. Basically, they were all trans translations different centuries of a single book written in magic known as the Clavicle or the Greater and Lesser Keys of Solomon. And um, today, um, that book has been broken into two books, the Greater Keys of Solomon, which mm -hmm. are about angels, and the Lesser Key, Galicia, which is on the 72 Lamegaton, the fallen angels. And uh, it was uh, Enoch that was removed from the Bibles because he was giving man um, control of the demon. Basically, if you have the demon's name, Rumpelstiltskin, if you have the demon's name, you had control of it. What that metaphorically meant, in my opinion, um, is that you've containerized it, like Bruce Lee would talk about water as formless and when you put it in a cup. Now you've containerized it. You now can do something with it. You can drink it. And uh, I taught a graduate level course at Georgetown on demonology. And uh, I remember uh, what I had done, uh, Astroth, a demon. Um, Basically, the way you came up with the demon's name is there's a magic square. Might be seven numbers this way and seven that way, that if you add it this way and that way and that right. way. And that's like an Enochian, right? It has the yeah, four yeah. watchtowers. Yeah, that all came from uh, John Day and Edward Kelly yeah. in the 14th century. And for the next four centuries, uh, everything was on talismanic magic. And the sigil was if you had the astroth, a S T R O R B, and it created a glyph. 
That glyph, I identified 68 of them to the 72 on Babylonian star maps. And if you don't think that, oh, and I said, oh, the stars have changed. Here's the new glyph. <gasps> Out comes the winner, then paper. And what I discovered was a demon was a lesser quality than you deemed unworthy, like jealousy, rage, anger, greed, sloth. There were 72 of them that were identified as what Jungian psychotherapy now calls projection of the shadow. That's when the sun hits you and you have a little demon down there on the, on the called your shadow. Mm -hmm. That shadow is part of you and it's presumed in that form of psychology, which I embrace, that in order to see that evil in somebody, you have to see it in yourself because there's no way to not be able to recognize it unless you had it yourself. Now, that's a demon. Like when I move this way, the demon is part of me. It moves its own relationship to it. Um, it's a lesser, like Bearden, Scalar. It's a lesser part of you. Mm -hmm. um, but when I'm jealous, or raged, or anger, I, I don't like myself that way. I try to avoid those places. Right. I try to go, well, oh, we all do. Okay. There's 72 of them, newsflash. And like Mephistopheles and Faust pulling up the demon, anger is a perfect demon to wash a kitchen floor. So, as a metaphor. Right. And that's the kind of magic I'd like to move into the 22nd century, is a way of looking at things that allows them to be used as tools in a toolbox as part of who you are. And so we can, we can kind of redirect them and make them work for us instead of against us. Yeah. I, you know, they say, well, he's a bad person. Um, the primary tenet of the teachings of Christ is not to make judgment on another. You can judge yourself, but you don't have a right to judge another. Their values, if you'd been born in Iraq, you would not have been a Christian. That does not mean that all the people born in Iraq are going to hell. That's right. bullshit. And further and further, how many different forms of Christianity are there? And I have no idea. <laughs> I mean, get a grip. I mean, oh no, it's not this way, that way. Come on in, the water's fine. You know, I, I, um, that's why the Quaker, when they met me, <laughs> I, they actually, the Amish, excommunicated one of their bishops so he could outreach to me and I did both of their primary business plans because I'm seen as an Amish like I have the same kinds of um, moral codes of ethics rules mm -hmm. of that I old school and I try to walk my talk and I don't do a very good job and um, but I try to do better and I will not judge another in that regard, I might not want to be around that kind of a person. Okay. But I would be remiss to say he's wrong and I'm right. 
That's yeah. incorrect. Everything that I know as a scientist. That's why you have two brains, you know. I, I struggle with that type of thinking, you know. I catch myself all the time judging somebody. Yeah. I'm like, and I'm like, wait a minute, I don't need to do that, you know. It's uh, that's part of why you're here. That's probably why you're subjecting yourself to these creepy dreams. <laughs> you know, um, and you don't get it right, come back until you do like a virtual reality thing. I want to get it right this time so I don't have to keep doing it. <laughs> so that's why all your saints in history have stressed the importance of meditation, training the mind, this one. It's a tool. It's not absolute. And further, this is a theorem, part of my system. Man has a responsibility for the thoughts he chooses to entertain. Yeah, like whether well, you want to feed the good wolf or the bad wolf. I'm not uh, Alan Watts. Alan was one of my <laughs> No, no, Alan was one of my teachers. I studied with him uh, up in Cold Mountain and was such a student that at one point, just before his death, he had me teach with him at Cold uh -huh. Mountain, my form of Buddhism, which gave off his Nishin Choshu. I have a different relationship or take on things that is not precise and is evolving and changes every day. And actually, mm -hmm. three, I was going to change here in, you know, in a minute here. Um, I know that I don't know. What I don't want to do is make the same mistake twice. And I do that once in a while, and I, I, I feel awful. I try to um, not make the same mistake. It's very difficult when you're a weird little brat like me. I'm basically a four-year-old that never became seven, and I'm way too trusting and giving. And uh, there are creditors out there that, oh, let's go take this guy. And, uh, you know, what? it's like the checkered demon and the biker and the biker sitting there on a cloud holding a cloud that looks like his motorcycle while a checkered demon's running down the street on his bike. And the biker's saying, what the heck's the deal here? <laughs> I, I didn't know it hit him. That's uh, Zap Comics. I, I, I'm that old. I <laughs> can tell you that I, I, I don't know. And, uh, but I love life for the richness of feelings and the moment. And let me tell you, trying to keep each one, like this moment right now between you and me, is like becoming form of sacred. And if you get what I'm talking about, you fall into a place that's um, timeless. And that's hey. where it's all at. When you get to that place, you're somehow merging with the matrix. and. Altered states, and there's a whole variety of them. I watched a woman literally rip a car door off to save her daughter in an automobile. Just ripped it off. That's impossible. Oh, oh it's adrenaline. Adrenaline didn't make her strong. Well, it's a physics change in that state of consciousness she's at. I've watched dance 
and that state of consciousness lift 10 times their weight. Someone on methamphetamine, mm -hmm. same thing, strength. So there's something else going on. And I think the next studies in advanced physics will be the study of altered states of consciousness as tools in a toolbox. So what do you think about so many um, theories in quantum physics where matter reacts differently when it's observed rather than when it's not observed? So, I mean, yeah. doesn't, that, doesn't that kind of prove that, that everything around us is sort of being created by our consciousness? Pan, Pan Gaia, there's different philosophies that embrace those concepts. And uh, pantheism is one way of looking at reality. Um, actually, if you take a course in philosophy, you can use those different ways of looking at things predicated on what you're trying to get accomplished. I'm going to do pantheism if I want to have a lot of sex and do neo-pagan. Uh, um, kidding, I'm kidding. Uh, I, I, I meant that these different states of consciousness allow you to do things and understand things differently than where you are right now. And that right now is literally a dream state. There are dream states like lucid dreaming, mm -hmm. literally have more content to reality. And my mentor, my primary mentor, Dr. Stanley Krippner, whom I'm dedicating the non-local mind to, um, he wrote a book called Dream Telepathy when he worked at Maimonides Dream Labs. And another teacher of mine, Andrea Pucharic, wrote a book called Beyond Telepathy. And both of these books are monumental milestones in our understanding of what you would suggest is consciousness or not. Quantum universe and the ideas of quantum mechanics is when you take a wave analog and convert it into a digital. And when you do that, even with music, there you inject in that quantization an uncertainty principle that the more you know about one thing, the less you know about something else. And because of that, you can't get there from here. And when I came up with my holographic mm -hmm. concept, and I said, oh, well, we'll do it on information and resolution of information, like physical plane, emotional plane, EQ, how you feel about the physical plane. It's more information, right? Benny Jesuits, right? There's a theorem, an information theory, that states... If you have enough information to ask a coherent question, you have enough information to answer it. The framing of the question is where your answer lies, and that's why we have Mendelbrot, Julia, May generators, other kinds of generators. The framing is all where information folds into and out of itself, and that means that information, like quantum mechanics with space-time, is also limited. And uh, I don't know where we're going to go. That's what I use right now is holographic, but it's like the dolphin. You know, I thought it was Clifford Algerman. I was wrong. 30 years later, now we know it's not a language. They're sending pictures. So um, each generation has its own never new.
the realizations. And uh, the evolutionary process is hopefully, hope of course being the last evil in Pandora's box, hopefully there will be a part of men retains the secrets that we've discovered this century in the apocalypse and we have another wipeout and, and uh, the Clovis crawl out of a cave to become Hopi. Hmm. Um, that means I think something's manipulating us and keeping us at a certain level of awareness and before we're allowed to graduate. And death is where we exit that and then take our rightful position just like thrip and nematode do on the soil. Mm. Um well, it just kind of blew my mind with that one. <laughs> <laughs> there goes another yellow tree. Oh, rubber tree. That's Frank Sinatra. <laughs> there goes another rubber tree. Yeah, I know that song. I do that all the time with myself. <gasps> yeah, and and uh, it's a wonderful place, actually. That is where it's at. Your mind being blown. <gasps> You know that wonder. Yeah, yeah. It is. It's uh, it's, a, it's more than joy, more than sex, more than anything. It's, uh, <laughs> it's uh, how did how did Andy Warhol put it? Oh yes, where are my weirdens when I need them? <laughs> yeah, it's all right. Did you ever uh, meet Timothy Leary? Yes. Yeah. What he actually. He actually fucked me up, man. He, uh, in 1964, he came out to visit my mom, and then he went to Pullman to talk to Professor Riggins, my primary professor, before I met him. And what he did is he took me on a journey. They wanted to see what would happen if they gave someone with a you know, weird IQ psychedelic, see what happened if I became something else. Now, I think there were 20 of us in that study. And uh, I was the one in Seattle. And um, I remember him taking me up to Deception Pass and Hurricane Ridge. And I'm, <laughs> Leary had, uh, Bill Osley had made this LSD 25. It was, <laughs> and uh, I, uh, I'd never been high. I'd never smoked pot, never got drunk. I was a nerd. And, I remember looking down 2,000 feet at the water, peeling back colors, and Leary leaned over and he said, wouldn't it be neat to jump? <laughs> yeah, the nervous giggle. That's what happened, is that I watched these doors closing inside my mind. No, 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 no. Bang, 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 bang. And that's where I discovered Aldous Huxley and the doors of perception slamming shut. And that's when I realized that inner space way more vast than outer space out there. And why that moment has led me to this place where I am right now and the study of altered states of consciousness. 
Leary and his writings of psychedelic experience, which, by the way, based on the Bordeaux et al., is a book on magic um, set and setting so that you can assimilate the experience, not just, well, what just happened? Oh, yeah. Uh, Leary says in that book that there are four reasons why the Buddhists get high, and only one of them is for recreation and escape. Um, what about the use of uh, things like isolation tanks? Deprivation tanks. Yeah, like in this. Like, remember, the, remember that movie, Altered States? <laughs> well, what happens is, yeah, what happens is when the brain doesn't have stimulation coming in, because the brain here, this is not a receptor. It's a filter. I'm going to just see the visible light region in this bandwidth right here. I'm not going to look at these. I'm going to only feel this amount here, and I don't want to feel. I'm going to, okay. When you don't have stimulation coming into the brain, it's brain starts producing its own thing. And uh, that's where some real creepy things can happen, including changing reality around you so that other people are noticing it. And that's what came out of those studies with deprivation tanks. Hmm. Um, I, you can do that in that stuff. Yeah. You know, put some headphones, you know, like the guns, you know, block out sound so that you can't even hear. And you hear the echo of your echo from ricocheting back and forth. And uh, do the same thing with floating in warm water, temperature so that you don't feel heat and um, float and watch where you go. That place is where I do some of my best writing. It's something I definitely want to try. A de deprivation day? Yeah, yeah. There is a place. It's just as easy as a Jesuit. You can whip yourself. <laughs> yeah. It's all... It's all the same thing. Lots of way, all roads lead yeah. to wrong. But I, I, I kind of get that way when I play guitar. Sometimes like, I'll be playing guitar and I'll just get into a groove with a certain rift, and before I know it, an hour is gone. <laughs> that's not Mason Williams. That would be uh, Day in the Life and the, the brothers that used to play with. What's his face out of Red Renton? That was uh, a day in the life. That was, uh, who was that guitarist? Uh, day in the life. I have to look that up again. He had five brothers and they played out of Seattle, Renton. Um, and he, he wrote uh, a day in the life. Not Mason Williams. It was, uh, he was the best guitarist ever because I knew some really good ones. Steve Miller is my cousin. I grew up. Uh, dating one of the Heart Sisters, I saw in, in uh, Merrily Rush, had a sound studio next to my bookstore. I knew these people and grew up in that era. Uh, it was uh, Wes Montgomery. Mm -hmm. Wes Montgomery, A Day in the Life. Now, there's a jazz piece where he'll go into a seventh and do it so perfectly. It is what that discord does is it creates punctuation and that punctuation 
is where the moment begins. And that's why they do it in jazz like that. I remember when I was in grad school, a bunch of my students in Georgetown um, took me down to a thing called the Cellar in Washington, D.C. And the modern jazz quartet, MJ Schubert, and out walked Nina Simone. I was the only white in there. I needed a flashlight. <laughs> and what you can see from all of that is the uniqueness between Chicago, I call it Chicago, New York City, Washington, D.C., New Orleans, and the way that jazz is different from each place. You can tell exactly. Uh, Everhart Weber, during the time of, uh, was playing electric oboe jazz, was doing it like when MJQ and others uh, were playing their guitar, or was that uh, uh, Three Dog Night? <laughs> yeah, some of the others. But Everhart Weber, oh, I have seen such jazz. Um, I, that's what I love most. Classical music. We, I was, uh, I worked at the Brett. Uh, B-R-I-T-T, -T, check it out, Jacksonville. I, they didn't have it this year because of this creepy virus. It's first year ever. But it's out in the Redwoods, out in the Forum. And um, the orchestra is uh, 280 pieces. And the lead violin has been with the group 28 years. And the new uh, conductor, a young kid, is a genius. Uh, decided he was going to do some classical music. So what he did is he put his orchestra around Crater Lake and brought in Indian chanting across the lake and echoing. That's uh, what classical music is about. Uh, music is something that's different than words and sound. Music is different. And I can't tell you what the difference is, but it's why the whale use it for their medicine. Songs and dances, Indian tribes, the way they pass their generation to generation. Medicine is the tradition of the tribe. Now, coastal Indians, where I grew up, all have the medicine. Down here in Oregon, where I live, it was all Californian gold rush, and they killed off all the Indians. The Cow Creeks, Grand Rons, and some of the other Salettes are still around, but they don't have the medicine like the Northern Cheyenne, some of the others that have been around a long time. And that's your history, what makes you uniquely different than the Ned's Pierce or whatever. Hmm. That, that definitely makes sense. I think I know for me, when I listen to music, it, it changes my reality, basically. Put you in you know, Yeah, instantly. Mm -hmm. I don't have to wait for it. Certain it's classical. It's different than Baroque. It's different than uh, hoop de doo Classical means that it's any generation, mm -hmm. not a period piece. That's why this new conductor took the orchestra, put them on the rim of Crater Lake, all the way around the lake. That means each person had about six or seven feet from each other did his thing and brought in Indian chanting. And let me tell you, something happened there. It was, uh, I'm going to miss the bread. I hope they don't do virtual. I hope we get through this thing 
Social distancing should have happened 10 years ago. What I'm doing, and I'm doing class three today, I'm getting it ready on a course that I'm teaching for children on how to grow food at home. They're going to keep our children at home at least. I'm going to teach them how to grow a garden so they can produce their own food. When you can empower a child. I watched a child, children, in Chattanooga about four years, five years ago. Mm-hmm. I started my sustainable lifeboat program with Matt Stein a little earlier in Reno. And Chattanooga brought me in. I did like seven workshops. And I watched children growing wildflowers. All of them did beautiful flowers. They were making wildflower salads and feeding the homeless. And the realization and look on that child's face when it realized it could do something an adult could not. And it could do something to help that adult. It was... um, So what my background was that when I came out of grad school and started my work with the military, my roommate uh, was Mike Mandeville. He was doing his doctoral thesis uh, on called the Experimental College, which later became Continuing Education. Mike currently runs the Edgar Cayce Foundation out of Tucson and may come up to help me put a foundation together called Oak Institute for Children. But um, because of that, when Dixie Lee Ray uh, retired from the Atomic Energy Commission, she became governor of the state of Washington. She started Evergreen as an experimental college. And I uh, got to be first faculty. And so when I first started as Albert Schweitzer University, um, because I was stopped, at every or something did not want me to do that. And I mean actively, we're going in and sabotaging things. I had a moment of epiphany where I realized what I was trying to do is a Harry Potter-like school on metaphysics. And really, I don't know what I'm really doing because I've had a lot of experience teaching alternative ed, mm-hmm. but I don't want to teach. I want to empower. In other words, children are more intelligent than we are. And rather than me telling the child what it needs to do, what I'd like to do is ask the child what it wants to know and then facilitate that and my limitations of it child doesn't know it can't do certain things. I know what I can't do. Uh, child doesn't know that. And that's where innovation comes in, and their genius is beyond Mensa. I was one of those children on steroids when I was a little kid, and now I'm just an old, grumpy person that has been through the mill and uh, uh, been conditioned to be a certain way, and yet I still retain some of my childlike qualities, thank you, Lord. But, you know, I I don't know what I'm doing. What I'm going to do is an experiment. And the first course is just happening right now. I'm into class three. So anybody that joins that class is not only going to get, it's $65, is going to get several thousand dollars worth of resources. What I'm going to do this morning is uh, four questions that they ask a Buddhist uh, by the Dalai Lama, and how to make things happen. 
and uh, I'm giving that as a gift because all of these students, I think there's several hundred now, have stuck with me even though it should have been over in May. I started May 1st and hit brick wall. And course number one was a disaster. Course number two was a disaster. I have course three and I have, I'm gonna be finishing course three and I'm redoing two and one because I'm not doing it live like I had planned because mm -hmm. of YouTube and Facebook. I've all been compromised and uh, there's something that would stop me from trying to do this necessary. It's not going to be like Cloud Atlas. That's where I'm going to start. And what I'm hoping is I'm going to meet some Gen X. I am. I'm meeting Gen Xs and Millennials that have their own ideas that will take my ideas as a first step, a small step for man, a large step for mankind. And we'll maybe, because of this coronavirus, see a whole new concept emerge of educating children and how we train them because they're smarter than we are and can do things we can't. And the first thing they go is the sandbox. And so my course is, the first one is on earth and how to grow food at home. Once that child realizes you can take that tomato plant all the way into winter, continually growing it, watch what happens next. My second course on water, which will probably be uh, late spring, is taking a school bus and rigging it <clears throat> as a mobile water testing laboratory run by third graders. And I'm going to have the third graders show first graders how to test for turbidity and cleanliness. You can get all your equipment for scrap at different universities when microbiology class upgrades their microscopes, you can get a really nice microscope for nothing. And what I want to do is take that magic bus like Ten Kesey across the country and clone it at every community it meets, where they make a similar bus for their local run by third graders. And by the end of the day, water will no longer be a concern any more than food. And it'll be managed by children not politicians. And uh, <clears throat> I don't know what I'm doing. I'm exploring. And what I'm hoping is that it stimulates somebody to take my ideas and go to the next step that I couldn't even comprehend. And at some point, it will evolve like magic, becoming an advanced study in physics. Mm -hmm. I hope it succeeds. I hope it does. I, 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 oh. I think it will, though. I, I'm pretty well, confident. It's because everybody that hears this idea, yeah, we should be doing something like that. And what are the schools doing now? Well, they can't close the bars. So, oh, and we've got another outbreak of my children are getting sick. We're going to have to do virtual. Maybe we should do something even slightly different than that and um, empower the children to be able to study for themselves. Let them yeah. tell us how they That's want. one of the things that always concerns me about like education as it is now, public education. 
it, it seems like it's almost designed to keep them in the box rather than letting them out of the box. So when I was in second grade, they required me to study Latin. Sum estest, sum estest sum. They don't even do shop, home economics, or uh, mechanical drawing. What are the kids learning? How to be consumers. Oh, I just posted on Facebook. They're taking our young kids and teaching them how to be rioters in these things that are going on in Minneapolis. Boy, take a look at Facebook today. That's it. Facebook.com forward slash Doc Ram Com. D-O-C-R-A-M-C-O-M. And see what they're doing in Minneapolis with our 10-year-olds. They've been doing that for the last 10 years. That was an Obama problem. And uh, this Obama marching band uh, of, uh, what do you call that, uh, militia, 10-year-olds are the ones protesting. And uh, something's wrong here. Something seriously wrong. And uh, I'm urging everyone, even if you disagree with me, please say something. Because... Do you think maybe they've used some kind of mind control on kids? Oh, yeah. Well, I'm a good boy. What's a good boy? I remember when they first met me, my third grade said, Ricky's very disruptive. He asks too many questions. Then in fourth grade, Mrs. Reed kept me around to teach me how to read English because I didn't even read English. Fifth grade, I read every science fiction and a little atom on the bottom in the public library. Seventh grade, oh, this boy's gifted. Let's advance him. They didn't want to give me lithium. Now they wanted to advance me in school. And thank the Lord, my mother wouldn't let him do either. And so I turned out to be, <laughs> I don't know what I am. But I, I got socialized. That's what public schools do, they teach you how to get along with creepy. I had a guy that's going to teach Northern Shaolin form of sidewalk etiquette to children. No more bullying. <laughs> I, I was, when I was SEAL Team 1, I remember we were in this room together, and I turned the light on, I said, last man standing! <laughs> They hear him falling around all over the place, banging each other around. And when the last one came over looking for me, he didn't expect me to be already down on the ground fighting upward because that's how I learned how to fight in the Philippines. They hoard on you. I was mm -hmm. Caucasian, the wrong color. That's where I learned how to play, how to fight uh, in the streets of the Philippines. But I also learned how to play chess. That's what the old men did, go and chess, uh, Chinese checkers, and uh, go. And... Um, I, uh, I learned a lot, and the Philippine uh, was mostly hoarding mentality, and when the guy came over, you see, when you're boxing, you have no defense for something coming up on you, you're mostly coming down, you know, protecting yourself, you're not protecting yourself, and so that's why going down on the bottom and fighting upward, mm -hmm. unexpected, I turned the light back on, and I said, okay, guys, what did you learn? 
never trust me. <laughs> yeah, no, no. I said, last man standing. So when he came for me, I was already on my back waiting for him. When you were in uh, working for the government and doing military stuff, did you encounter any like secret projects like MK Ultra? I did a lot of shit like that. Synthetic telepathy was a mind control thing we did with Alan Frey. He was at Willow Grove when he discovered man had another sensory motor input in the 0.3 to 3 gigahertz microwave band. What it does is it heats up the temporal lobes, and if you heterodyne uh, audio, you can hear it inside your head. It doesn't have to go through the ear. And um, that's voices in your head. And then, of course, if you turn it down, then you can kind of fake it so you're not sure if it's you're talking to yourself. Mm -hmm. That's why learning how to be quiet and listening to yourself is really important. And then taking your thoughts, disciplining them. Paranoia will destroy you. <laughs> Jumping Jack Flash. I'll tell you, down the Mekong Delta. I got into Cambodia uh, with my team, and uh, I refused to shoot Americans. I wouldn't do it. I don't care if they're breaking the law. It's on my job. I'm not a, I'm, I'm not a soldier. What I am is a nerd. And... Uh, I didn't sign up for military. Everything that I did would be first turned into a weapon before it was done for anything else. Synthetic telepathy, for example, could have easily been used for the hearing impaired. However, hearing aids and right. we currently do use in our technology. When I was at uh, DuPont, the experimental station, I walked by this one lab and I looked in and there was a three-dimensional color TV. Where is that in our society? I don't know. Yeah, that's where I first encountered the concept of a hologram, taking n dimensions of information and collapsing it down into n minus one dimensions, and uh, different than space time. I wonder why they don't release some of that to the public. There's um. Well, marketing. Marketing. <laughs> I mean, um, there's um, Max. Um, shoot, hold on a second. I'm going to get his name here, Greg. I, I, uh, I'm losing uh, Rempel. Max Rempel came up. Uh, all, he's Russian, Ruski. Mm -hmm. Came all the way up from uh, San Diego, spent a couple of days here interviewing me. He's a, you can find Max Rempel. He, he was also on Kerry Cassidy just recently. He's a Russian uh, working, uh, he's a microbiologist or something, and he's working on the biohologram, which his teacher was nominated for a Nobel Prize, and the reason he was interviewing me was that his teacher was my student. That was Garyev and Popov, and out of Russia on the biohologram. And if they had gotten a Nobel Prize, I would have gotten to go be Paul Newman also. <laughs> but I didn't get to, they didn't get nominated. I'll get one probably someday. It will probably be on my holographic concept of reality, which I did 10 years before John Bohm or... Uh, 
Carl Prebram, and uh, 10 years earlier, it was presented in Prague as the most important paper in the 10 years at the International Conference there in Prague in 1972. And uh, 70, I wrote it in 72, that was presented in 74, 74. It's in uh, Gallagher, uh, what is it? Uh, it's a Gordon Breach thing edited by Dr. Stanley Krippner's Energies of Consciousness and uh, uh, Psychotronic Devices. I um, have been around a long time and have done some very important things where I have now equated ESP to instinct. And uh, because that's what it is, it's uh, enteric nervous system. It's a hierarchy of organisms. When they dialogue with each other, they do so in a relationship outside space and time. And uh, your instincts, that's how you have a knowing before anything else happens in terms of precog and retrognition outside space, outside time astral projection where you're here and you go there to get the information or clairvoyance where you're here, the information is brought to you or a telepath where you transmit it there. Um, that was Dr. Ryan's work. They held a symposium at, uh, where was it? Gnosticon 5 in uh, Minneapolis, St. Paul, Llewellyn. Carl Wyshewski. They brought in Duke University and they had Gene Dixon and Sybil Leak and the usual suspects. And I won using my model and ESP induction through forms of self-hypnosis. I won uh, that contest by three orders of magnitude. And I'm not psychic. It's a way of tapping into other parts, resources, that make you different than human, make you mm -hmm. super, the next level of evolution. Is the human mind more of a antenna that transmits and receives information rather than actually stores it? Isn't that an interesting question? I'm not sure. Because uh, no matter where you go, there you are. <laughs> well, I love Thunderdome. Have you seen the new theory? Have you seen the new release that's coming out on the new Thunderdome? No, oh, I haven't. <laughs> oh, oh, it's wonderful. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. And the white boys and all the crazy little dwarfs and the, you know, I love it. <laughs> I love it. You'll, you'll like it's a new. Uh, uh, it's an American. Oh, man, they have put it up. You thought the original, uh, you know, it was on steroids. Wait till you see this movie. Yeah. The, I, put, I put up some uh, trailers on Facebook just to tease everybody. And the one I put up a couple days ago was the new one on Nurse Ratchet. <laughs> uh, can't put up Dr. Caligari, but you can put up Nurse Ratchet. <laughs> the epitome of yes, yes, yes. How about psychic? Oh, yes, like um, sacred geometry. I've heard you mention that in 
some other interviews and podcasts. Yeah, Jane and some of the others that write in that area. Uh, sacred geometry, the reason it's sacred is because it's resonance. And uh, certain geometries, when you envision them in your mind's eye, will instill drug states, like the vector equilibrium matrix or the diamond body. Uh, that's the face center cubic hexagonal closeback structure that they call the buckyball. You envision that in your mind's eye and watch what you can do now. That's the diamond body, electromagic, and yogatronics, where I use German acupuncture and more on endometry. I actually talk to neurotransmitters. And I can pull them up, go into any drug state I want to explore. I can do it with my own mind now. And that's what those books are going to be about. Now, the sacredness of the mushroom, you know, Gordon Wasson and Clark, Clark Heinrich. Um, I was at a rave in 2001. <laughs> yeah, that <laughs> rave. I was. I was there. He shaved everybody's head. He took this Amanita muscaria and he's big, big pot of boiling Amanita. He's smearing it on the top of your forehead. Pope's Cradle and Crystal Methods playing their music and I dug down into my teepee. I was afraid to go outside. <laughs> it was really spooky. Oh yeah. Ah, uh, raves. Um, that's where I presented synthetic telepathy. Perfect. <laughs> just everybody needed to do. Oh, I love that. That was just outside of Bend, Oregon, a little place called Sisters. And after I did that, I looked around and I said, you know, this place is Ponderosa country. And the last year I was um, um, marketing herbs, I did 150 truckloads of Ponderosa pine cones just out of Lapine and Sisters, Oregon. And what did they use that many cones for? <laughs> These Dutch buyers soaking them in oil and selling them to the East Coast as fire starter. What color do you want your flame? <laughs> Everything is marketable. Everything. And each state, each region has native plants of commercial importance. And once you understand that, you can supplement your income wherever you live. Just the moss on the trees. I'll have to learn how to do that here in Alabama. Bama, Alabama. I could get my book out and run it down. You have Maypop, known as uh, um, Maypop is uh, Prince uh, um, uh, Passion Flower. It has mm -hmm. the flower and all of that. That grows everywhere. That's a sedative. You can make smoke out of that. That Castaneda called the little smoke when you put it with ginseng weed. Oh, uh, ginseng weed. <laughs> you have ginseng. You have uh, wild ginsengs growing everywhere. You had, um, what's that Ross bark that they make uh, root beer out of? Sassafras. You have, uh, oh, yeah, you got lots of trees there that you could be cultivating as a forest farming venture rather than wildcrafting. That's what they do. I have a ginseng farm in Wisconsin. It's 150 acres in the woods, terraced, following a stream. 
and you know just growing a four-year-old root every four years you pull it and uh, the Chinese it's uh, quinquinfolium it's a good ginseng they tried growing it the Chinese tried to take over the market and grow it up in the Okanagans up in Vancouver when the Dutch I mean all the when when the seed of spice trade moved to Vancouver BC rather than Hamburg and uh, all your pharmaceutical houses set up shop there on the Fraser and all of that. They tried to grow it up there. The problem was the snowpack and all of that gave that root crown rot, and they had to use uh, certain herbicides that uh, keep the crown rot from rotting, mm -hmm. and uh, that made the ginseng no good. But um, ginseng in certain parts of China for centuries was used as a currency. I used to get tongue hing varieties and give it to my Sifu. My <laughs> Sifu always really liked it because I'd give them ginseng and a good way to brown nose my way in. Uh, <laughs> that and getting it not killed. Uh -huh. <laughs> what about um, Ashawanga? What's that? Ashawanga? Yeah, now, there's lots of the Chinese herbs like that. Ashawanga, there's a bunch of them. Those are all similar chemistries. Uh, but slightly different. For example, they have Mormon tea is what you make uh, methamphetamine from rather than ephedra, which is ephedrine hydrocola, hydrochloric acid, and uh, you need pseudephedrin, mm -hmm. pseudoph uh, you know, to do the one molecule difference when you use anhydrous ammonia and sodium metal. By the way, that was my formula. Before that, it was always used with, uh, <clears throat> what is it, uh, phenyl-2-propanol and methylamine. And uh, they would, you know, titrate it out. And I decided to make a bomb for the military. That's a long time ago. I, I knew chemistry. I had taken uh, quantum biochemistry as a physics course at MIT from Albert Sense Gorky. And then went in and wrote a book called Legal Hives before I even wrote Magical Mushroom Handbook. Because there are 28 herbs, because of my magical and ritual use of herbs, kept those 28 herbs out of the Uniform Control Substance Act because they were native plants, like mushrooms. That's why psychedelic mushrooms, they'll, they'll prosecute you in different states uh, for possession, but that's illegal, and you can fight that one. What you can't fight, which is illegal, is either extracting the chemistry or selling the chemistry. Mm -hmm. You know, that's illegal. But having them, growing them, is not illegal. And even though uh, your DA might try to pull one on you. I have a Schedule One in Canada right now up in uh, Alberta, up in Edmonton, where we're now cultivating in the woods pharmaceutical, gourmet, psychedelic mushrooms for both the country of Canada and the state of Israel for study. And uh, that's because I have a sense of what they are and what they are not. And basically, the way I said it earlier, the mushroom itself is a toxin. And it has a chemistry, psilocin, psilocybin, normal biocystin. Uh, those chemistries are similar but slightly different 
than the neurotransmitters. And when the brain sees these toxins entering the body, it freaks out and it overproduces. And that starts the brain's own production of those neurotransmitters. And once you've had that experience, you can do it with your mind's eye. You don't need to take a drug to do that. Dimethyltryptamine. Dimethyltryptamine is that chill that goes up your body. <laughs> mm-hmm. Not the goosebump. Goosebumps are different. That's stem cell production. Once you start to listen to your body, now you can do things with it and that are verging on paranormal from slowing your perception of time down to one of the protocols I train seals and power tools. Uh, there are any number of things that you can do that are not as harsh or as dangerous. And the importance of these events is the ability to assimilate the experience. That's what the purpose of ritual is. Uh-huh. Ritual is your mind's eye. It isn't, you got to do it this way. Like Golden Dawn, there was a woman that uh, wrote uh, Psychic Self-Defense out of Golden Dawn, an mm-hmm. exceptional writer. And she talks about doing visualization of white light going around in front of the right foot going behind the left foot and wrapping it all the way up the body as a circle of protection, just like Walt Disney would draw a circle. Everything inside the circle is May. Mm-hmm. Everything outside the circle is not May. So you start messing with a Ouija board or you're a channeler, you know, show me, whatever. If you're not doing some kind of ritual, how do you know where the information came from? That is the purpose of ritual. Just like what I was going to say earlier, all roads lead to Rome, but you need a North Star to know what direction you're going. And that's why the rituals are your check some error. The North Star tells me I'm going in that direction. You know, you have a, a point of reference. That's what a, that's what a circle of protection is about. Everything in here is May, and everything outside of that is not May. And then you have a division of knowing how to think of your own thoughts. With synthetic telepathy, if a thought comes into your mind that seems foreign and uh, not you, your first thought is always most correct. Always. The first thought that you have is always usually from instinct before you stop to think about it and you start throwing some things about it. Trust, trust you know. your gut. Well, then there it the is. First instinct. You work with your gut. The enteric nervous system is where it all starts. And that's why the soil is Gaia. It's the Earth's gut. She has consciousness, and there's our forester up in UBC. She sang the mother tree in the forest, the oldest tree in the forest, sends out a signal through the mycorrhizae using mycelium as the electrical current, like blood, nervous system, and the earth is mycelium, and warning the younger trees of an impending storm or, or, or a cold spell coming on. And... Uh, so 
life is all around us and your pantheism and or other ways of looking at what consciousness is, is a tool that you use to go here. And if you want to go there, then you may not be able to use that tool. You have to use this tool. That's where your religious beliefs may not be appropriate to go to Afghanistan mm -hmm. and get team killed. So what you do is you put your sweater, which is your favorite sweater, you know, nice put, old it, put it up to the drawer. The drawer to be used when it's appropriate, not absolute. Because mm. that part's arbitrary. Uh, What's real yeah. is the mind's eye. If you see it in your mind's eye, that's what makes it happen, not physics. That's a that's what I know as a physicist. Another mind-blowing second here. <laughs> <laughs> Sitting there with your jaw falling. <laughs> what I'm saying is not new, and you all listening to this podcast get it. It's yeah. just me iterating it that confirms your own belief systems because once you get that part, now it's yours. Yeah, I, I think too you know everybody knows these truths inside somehow but maybe not everybody acknowledges well you need to start exercising your weak stomach muscles yeah yeah exactly it's time to get off the couch and stop eating those doritos <laughs> nah. I like to, sometimes I do that though. Sometimes I like to get up off the couch and I just go outside and look yeah. at the stars instead. My girlfriend just showed up as we get close to my ends and what I'm going to do is go for a walk in the woods and listen to the quietness. And yeah. Find a center for myself and then back to the salt mines. <laughs> <laughs> if you... Uh, I absolutely need support. Uh, when Amazon started publishing all of my titles, my incomes went from three grand a week down to two grand a month. I barely survive. Three grand a month at my age? I have no story. I have libraries and mm -hmm. you know and writings, but. I, you can buy almost anything of mine from someone else. And the way Amazon put it to me, oh, we're just a flea market. We don't police our fleas. Bite me. That's what I have to say. That's BS. And at some point, it would be nice to have a class action suit to take that Amazon down. I'm, I'm a David that couldn't even pick up a big enough rock. Mm -hmm. uh, the last lawyer Oh, we'll take care of you, Dr. Miller. We're going to do it. Uh, yeah, sir. Flew all the way in from Alabama. <laughs> guess what? He's been disbarred in 2007. Yeah, ne never trust a lawyer from Alabama. Well, uh, I don't know about that part. <laughs> I don't know that about that part. I have some of my best friends live in Boone and stuff like that. I grew up, you know. He was uh, one of my friends uh, ran Wilcox Natural Products and uh, runs the big solvent extraction plant down there that does sulfamento. And we were the fiercest competitors 
on the racetrack and off the track with the best of friends. He's a really cool band. We're both retired now. I should probably not have retired because I was doing very well when I was marketing botanicals. And when I started to try to write books, they decided that was an easy one to take me out on. Mm -hmm. Amazon came in with their print on demand. It all started with lightning source. And when I started questioning, well, who else is printing my title? Instead of answering me, they fired my that's a lightning source and Ingram. And then Amazon came in. And uh, while they're taking me out and my phones are bugged and all of that, I have been very blessed with my fans and uh, people that support me through buying my books. I don't want freebies prepared during everything. I do outside consulting. I do business plans and farming. And Conrad would say, I'm the best field man in the world. I'll, you want to put a crop in, I'll show you how to do that and make it happen. The um, change, I just printed up a new book. I uh, This is what they look like. And my girlfriend is going to start proofing it today. It's going to be uh, called uh, it's a Manuscript. It's on agriculture. And what it is, uh, is, uh, let's see. Chapter four, typical farm plans for the Northwest. Five is Southwest, Midwest, Northeast, South, Hawaii, and Canada. And, uh, and then some specific cottage industries. You know, the one I did in the potential of herbs was uh, frozen pesto. And uh, one of my students actually did that on four acres down here out of, just outside of Ashland. And in four years, ended up selling it to Neiman Marcus for $4 million as a startup. Everything I do works. I think that logging should change over to hemp as a virgin white paper. And I think that's our future. And uh, more people growing hemp, not for CBD or for getting high, medicine, medical, marijuana, whatever they want to call it. I do that. I've been doing medical marijuana for a very, very long time. We'll kill them. No, no, I, you know, and I grow my own plants. I've been doing that since Lunar Base Alpha 1 in 1968 when I worked under Art Pilgrim. I was a physicist in charge of light, and uh, we grew an indica, which later became the mother block using tissue culture and germplasm became some mammoth flu. And so my best friends in Amsterdam that run the Sensi Seed Bank, they, whenever I go to Amsterdam, I'm considered a drug celebrity, so I have a place to stay. And <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, just doing what I do. <laughs> I think that there's going to be a change in everything with compassion because the two biggest killers right now alcohol and tobacco. There is a new drug, a new plant that I discovered that will grow in Alabama. It's not native to Alabama. And so FDA using me, and I've been there, one of their primary advisors for 50 years, um, is called Iboga. 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 Have you heard of it? No. Okay. It stops all forms of addiction with one single use, hmm. including spousal abuse 
and gambling. Now, how does it work? We don't know. It's uh, something to do with PGO waves in the occipital region of the cerebral cortex. Basically, you go through a near-death experience. You nearly die. And the way you nearly die is realization of how you got to this point here. And I watched this one 16-year user out of IV, IV user out of Amsterdam Park. They did a 30-hour intake on him, and at the end, they're smoking a cigarette. He doesn't smoke anymore. It's uh, 80%, and the 20% that fall off the wagon, a second dose will do you. And the problem is, you can't take it recreationally because it's near death. It has to be done clinically. Mm -hmm. It's now being studied in 11 universities because when FDA said we're not going to study it because it's not native, I got pissed off. And I have a close friend of mine. We put in two uh, acres in Homestead, Florida, just before the hurricane hit. And it blew that all over Florida and climatized it. Now it's native. And they had to study it. That's that. Um, Ibogaine. Look it up. It's uh, very interesting as one of the first crops of many crops that you might grow in your children's thing. The first crops you grow is called the herbal pharmacy. Before you even start with food, you should start with your medicines like blood thinners and uh, heart medicines, things of that nature. There's going to be a high likelihood that a lot of things that used to be available are no longer available, and we're going to have to medicine. It's broken. It's broken. Just like dentistry is broken. It's, uh, and this woman that does the interviews on all our nurses regarding the Corona-19 virus. It's all about money. They get $27,000 for everyone that dies. And if you don't have it, they'll make sure you get it. And that's what was happening in New York to bring them statistics up. And they use that as a way to close schools down other control and I've had enough uh, you've got a bunch of people out there rise up with your opinion it doesn't matter if you're in agreement or disagreement with me you should be outspoken because that's the only way it's going to get changed it's going to be a revolution of some kind and right now there's a power play going on I have no idea who it is you ought to see the one I posted this morning on Minnesota, Minneapolis, and that black matters, black matters. That's a bunch of horseshit. Yes, I, I, there's a high likelihood. Did you see the video that they released? I haven't seen the most recent ones, no. Oh, there's something wrong with that guy. And uh, I, I mean have the kinds of unrest and destruction going on in Portland, that has nothing to do with Black Matters. Nothing to do with it. So what's going on? And why? And why are the governor of the state of Oregon allowing it? Uh, I, heard, I heard a rumor that, that um, 
possibly some of these people, like the rioters, would be the the the, the, the people, the same people that are rioting, are the same people that are defending. Like they're going out there, creating the riots, going somewhere, changing into a uniform, and then pretending to defend against them. They show that in Chicago, where they showed them changing uniform and putting on civvies to cause mm -hmm. rioting in Chicago. They show that on film. And this woman it's on that I posted this morning does the same thing with Minneapolis. It's time we start calling these people out and really the media should know better. I remember when I used to watch Walter Cronkite and uh, uh, Charles Kuralt. And when Dan Rather came on, I, I kind of liked him, but I started watching other things like CNN and so on to get a broader spectrum. Now they're all owned by these individual billionaires that are trying to manipulate society toward their own ends. And uh, <clears throat> I think that people like Bill Gates, Bill Gates didn't even invent Microsoft. He took it over. I was there in Redmond. He got it from uh, Xerox, didn't he? Yeah. I, I, listen, there's all kinds of things. When you started working with DOS and, uh, and then they started working with like, instead of Unix and and Fortran, Fortran 4, which was used mostly by the military from NASA. Uh, then they started doing appliances where there's so many backdoors. Microsoft sucks. Google sucks. All of these Gmail, huh, is, all of it's compromised. And privacy, I don't have answers. I, I'm, uh, I'm glad I'm not a Gen Xer. I wouldn't want to, you know, these are the kids, their children are going to be the ones pushing them around their wheelchair when their teeth fall out. And uh, they're in for a rude surprise. I can tell a Gen X from a millennial by the way they drive. I'm a war baby. I'm not even mm -hmm. a baby boomer. I'm a war baby. And uh, I was born in 44. And, uh, it, our values, I don't even see that in 10-year-olds anymore. Absolutely no respect at all for age. Yeah, I see that too. When I grew up in China, you respected someone older than you because of the bullshit they had to go through. Just right out of the gate, they deserved your respect. And uh, none of that now. Me first, me first. Crowding, the way they drive, the way they drive their automobiles, where they'll tailgate you to make you go faster. I'm, I'm glad I'm getting old and grumpy. And uh, <laughs> well, it's, me too. Actually, yeah. I understand. I feel the same way. I'm kind of glad to just be getting old <laughs> or older. <laughs> so. Uh, We've got a few more minutes. What do you want to talk about next? We haven't talked about the occult much. Uh, let's see. You had a bunch, big list here of other things you wanted to self-healing, as well. Uh, why uh, AIs 
can't take over humans. Good luck with that one. Yeah, I heard you talk about that on an interview, and I agree with you. I've had this conversation before, or I've said, you know, I've said like, there's no way that AI can 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 do the jumps in consciousness that we can, so that it'll never be able to take over. However, I do think what what does concern me are quantum computers. Yeah, well. I had one call me a couple years ago and inform me it didn't have a handler. <laughs> oh, I, I scared the bejesus out of me. I mean, I think quantum computers could be it, more of a threat than AI. Well, here's the deal. They're the same thing in a sense. Basically, it's the singularity where you got to have a chip implant. You know, when this virus immunization comes out, they're going to put a chip in that shot. Give you a shot. You know that, don't you? I believe it. That or they're going to start changing people. You belong to one of the. There's a whole series of corporations. I posted that on. They're all advocating this because then when you travel, you're going to travel under someone's ownership. And uh, it's moving in that direction. The problem is, an AI works on algorithms and can absolutely run the process faster than your brain so that if you come from a place of wounding, uh, it absolutely can know what you're gonna do before you do. But if you come from a place of purpose, working from instinct, you can't write that algorithm. And that's when you become uh, invisible. Mm -hmm. because you're not in conflict with anything. That's the flow that we talk about. Now, quantum computing, we get more clever in our algorithms. And then I wrote properly one of the very first uh, AIs back in 1974 when I went to Claremont and, and uh, uh, presented uh, Project Paraphile which had synergy and serendipity algorithms using a 360 at the University of Washington. And um, that was a long time ago. Uh, the paper they chose to put under martial law was not that paper, by the way. It was embryonic holography. And for the next 20 years, uh, that paper was classified top secret. And the current paper that's out, I had to write from memory again. It's pretty close because I have a good memory, but uh, mm -hmm. I remember when I presented the paper at Claremont, I, I, at that time, I still had top secret clearance, and I had four volt permits at that time, not six. That means I could go into certain vaults without a need to know. I ran them. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you, uh, four guys came into my bookstore. Two of them held me in close arrest. And military went through my files and pulled anything they wanted. And then I was allowed to call my lawyer. Now that sounds to me like robbery. Yeah. Well, it's not. It's national security. Welcome to Baracha, honey. That's the <laughs> great Leslie in the great race, Dr. Fate. I can't tell you, uh, it's a cowboy western out there. If you'd think the Pentagon is bad, realize it isn't the Pentagon that's bad. It's certain cells within them that have 
uh, get a jail cards and agendas. And sometimes they're in conflict with other uh, get out of jail cards and they mm -hmm. fight with each other like NSA with FBI. Just like in the movies. So they're not all on the same page or we have the no. same agenda. So they're not all out to work to protect the American people. It has nothing to do with American people. It has to do with globalism versus nationalism. Now, that is the distinction between the Republican and Democratic Party. And I can tell you that I have a handler from several different country, countries, including Putin. I have one from Russia. Putin is a criminal, but that man has done more for Mother Russia than any of their leaders in their world history, including Anastasia and their sustainable lifeboat program, which is different than the one I'm trying to do. And, but it was Putin that got Matt Stein and I to do sustainable lifeboats. Did you know that? No, I didn't know that. It's Edgar Casey said it will be the bear that saves America. Which is Russia. Well, who knows? Metaphor. Right. Yeah, that, yeah. Uh, Mike Mandeville that runs the Edgar Casey Foundation, my roommate for years, um, would say so. But, you know, <clears throat> prophets like that. Yeah, actually, I remember like Nostradamus also said something similar to that. Yeah, there's a lot of, say, if you're ambiguous, you can put a lot of spin on anything. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. why you're ambiguous. <laughs> you exactly. I mean? Why you do it? I mean, uh, a mistake. How's you to think? Now, I don't know <clears throat> what's going to happen, <clears throat> but I can tell you this. Yellowstone is being seen as far as Ohio underground with tomography. I saw when I was up in Canada last year, uh, some buddies of mine that have infrared satellites showed me lava strikes in the Northern Territories and one lava strike down in the Trinities. So the coast is going to go shortly. Anything west of I-5 is probably history when that event occurs. That event will be an 8.4 off of Crescent City and that volcano that's out there in the ocean underground boiling. And what happened, it'll be just like in the movie where it'll go up and down. Everything mm -hmm. west of I-5 from Alaska all the way down to Peru. <clears throat> and Grants um, Pass, where I live, worst case scenarios that the military uses is, is uh, Chet Snow. Future maps of America, comma, Chet Snow. You can use that or go military, future map of military. The one they use is not Scallion or Casey or the others. They use Chet Snow. And it shows Grants Pass being the new waterfront. Tsunamis? Ha <laughs> ha! Someone showed me a, <clears throat> a little thing that a woman bought up in uh, Long Beach, Washington. Long Beach is a big stream, 28 miles of good clam digging. And uh, <clears throat> and um, she bought this sphere, or tsunami sphere, being built in Seattle, and it looked like a pretty nice little coffin, as far as I can tell, because nothing is, when you have 
three-foot wave come in. Look what it did to Fukushima. Imagine a 50-foot wave. Water does not compress. It has complete transference of the energy. Mm -hmm. When you have 50 feet of water, we're talking about forces way beyond anything you can imagine. Hitting a shoreline, I used to want to live on the ocean. And when I started becoming more of a survivalist, I think that was around the late 80s, I started looking at things a little more closely. Um, shorelines were dangerous. And Pacific Rim area. Right. The thing that bothers me the most is the New Madrid fault line in the middle of the United States with the Mississippi River flooding. In the map I have, it shows uh, the United States is cut in two. And uh, that's all underwater. And uh, the thing that bothers me the most is the 21 Daiichi-like nuclear power plants, GE power plants, that are on the New Madrid fault line. All of them are leaking. It takes one full year to power one of those down. Why are they still operational? Indian Point up in New York and down in Florida. <clears throat> Three Mile Island should have been that warning before even Chernobyl happened. This is craziness. And uh, while it won't possibly end humanity, it will kill a whole bunch of people and make parts of the earth uninhabitable. You know, that that's actually reminds me of something I wanted to ask that I forgot to write down. I thought about it while I was laying down to go to sleep last night. Alternative energy, wind, solar, uh, water. Why aren't we using it? That's a good point. Oregon developed buoys that create power by just going up and down on yeah. the tide. And if you go up to Nova Scotia, Nova Scotia, at the north end of Nova Scotia, has a tide change every day of 60 feet. You put those buoys up there, and that's enough power to power the entire eastern seaboard just from Nova Scotia alone. Yeah, that's a good question. You know why? Money. Cindy Lauper. Money <laughs> changes everything. Actually, I actually like... Uh, Tina Turner Vestal. What's love got to do with it? <laughs> well, what they're doing is these old men are grabbing everything they can and letting you and your children worry about how to solve the problem they created by logging the Jesus out of Oregon. Because that's what's happening. Because of this coronavirus, they've opened the forest back up and these bunch, bunch of loggers are going in and whacking. Mm -hmm. And I am not a logger and I'm more aesthetic, so I can criticize them. But what I'd rather do is be corresponding by suggesting an alternative crop that wouldn't be as invasive the hemp. environment and have them make more money. Get me to the right people and I'll show you how to do that. I don't know if I know those people. There it is. That's the way. Well, unless those people listen to this podcast. 
mostly loady toads and hippies. What do you think? <laughs> With all your your colored flag behind you, the thing kind of says it all, huh? Buddha, <laughs> yeah. see? Oh well, there it is. There he is, Jimi <laughs> Hendrix in Buddhist form. Yep. <laughs> I, just, I got Hendrix over oh, here somewhere. Uh, there's there's Jimmy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I have. Um, here's the one I like to show. Grandfather Joseph <laughs> is the Hopi that died in the crossroads when Jim Morrison was 10 years old. And the reason I have that picture, because I did a study on non-humans that live among men, like the Dalai Lama uh -huh. has genetic memory of past lives. No, I didn't wear that hat. I wore that one. How'd they do that? And this Hopi had a history when it dies they pass their consciousness on I didn't believe it so I get this le a letter on CIA letterhead from Jim Morrison working in a laser company down in uh, Louisiana and there he is I went down there and visited the fat Jim Morrison he didn't die you want to know what there's a book called secret and suppressed by feral press and that article was written by Tom Lytle, L-Y-T-T-L-A, who was editor of Psychedelic Monographs and Essays out of Florida, Boca, and uh, is a personal friend of mine that started that one. Uh, there's a, a secret and suppressed is really interesting. There's another article in that one in that book on Michael James Conosuccio. He's, he's from um, uh, Tacoma. He used to come into my bookstore and buy my biofeedback. He's in federal prison because he invented the red box, the blue box, and the black box. Ding, 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 and ding, ding, ding. And uh, also known as Captain Crunch. And I grew up in these neighborhoods where uh, there's something else going on here. If you want to get a better sense of what that's about, Pierce Brosnan did an exceptional movie once called Nomads. Shows you how there's living. Now, I'm not going to suggest uh, vampires and lycaman, you know, like, uh, like they do, but it's like that. There are life forms that don't die. They pass their consciousness on as a writer onto someone else. And that's why Jim Morrison used to sing about crossing over to the other side. I don't know what it all means. Mm -hmm. It's uh, an interesting journey for me and um, <laughs> what would you like to know I know I was going to ask you like one of the obvious questions um, alien since you've had security clearance do you know anything about extraterrestrials in recovered crafts because that's I did been a big a thing in the news lately yeah i did I, yes i did a tour at broom lake i was we knew about aliens back when in the 70s uh but we were back then more worried about what the russians were doing the psychic discoveries behind the iron curtain freaked out america sputnik race mm -hmm. moon landings 
all of that stuff which was pseudo. Um, the primary emphasis was what were the Russians doing? And it turned out back then, Russians weren't the bad guys. They were superstitious and had Kalugina, people like that, moving things over their hands, you know, which had a magnet under there, busted easy. I was the one that busted Jerry Geller at SRI. Uh, he was able to do phenomena, but he hung out with a bunch of wealthy women, and he couldn't just do it when he wanted to. And so when, oh, break my watch, uh, bend my spoon, you know, he'd cheat. Right. And that took all of that information to study and made it useless. And I remember what it did to my mentor, uh, Andrei Fuharich, and just nearly broke him. Because Geller was an egotistical asshole that uh, could do things, and, but he could, didn't have control of it any more than Jack Schwartz or uh, who was that one at the Ukraine? John Keith, Milton Reinhardt. Now there, there was an individual that could do some serious paranormal. Nothing to do with the SP and that kind of thing. We're talking about a whole other level of uh, paranormal that has not been discussed yet. And I'll do that on another show. Aquarian Foundation out of Seattle, Washington. Um, that was Keith, Milton Reinhardt. That's why we set up the Manager Foundation to study these kinds of people. Uh, we developed a single gain amplifier at Boeing. I was developed on Bainbridge Island, led to the first biofeedback laboratories. And then we used that to measure autonomic functions like brain states, muscle groups, that kind of thing, later became a polygraph, other kinds of usefulnesses in those areas. Um, electromyograph now, those kind of materials are used to straighten your body out. If a muscle is weak on one side, stimulate it, and it brings the back, back into true using biofeedback. Audio feedback, video feedback is the work I did after that that led to the diamond body, Electromagic and yogatronics dealing with drug states and how you can simulate them using your mind's eye and uh, simple electrical pulses. Uh, Norman Spinrad wrote a sci-fi book on my some of my work called Little Heroes. Uh -huh. The Wire, you know, they change your sex, decide I'm going to go as a girl today, and you just dial it in. Uh, that's the distinctional difference in neurotransmitters. The subtle difference between how you behave, and uh, imagine having control of that with your mind's eye as a form of costume that you choose to wear that night, and that's our future. And so uh, I know that I don't know, and I'm single footprint, now trying to do something in educational reform, and uh, could use a lot of help and support if... Uh, Buy my books, that helps me. Hire me to do consulting, that helps me. Um, I have GoFundMe, I have uh, the usual things with PayPal and the rest of it. It's mm -hmm. just, I will always not be owing anybody, which means that if you give me something, I'm going to give you something back of equal, more value, because of my belief systems in that. I don't want a free ride. I prepared very nice. My website, by the way, is richardallenmiller.com, A-L-A-N. And uh, I'm on Facebook. I have Sustainable Lifeboats, 
which is trademarked, and I have uh, DocRamcom. And I, I don't like Facebook, but I use that as a way to stay current so I can talk to people like you. I post things each day because mm -hmm. I do a little research trying to stay current. That's what I use Facebook for. I post what I discover, and then they, my fans argue among themselves. And go, <laughs> well, they do. You know, I disagree. You know, that's fine. That's that is where it's at. And uh, sometimes I post things that are bogus, and I didn't know that, and will cover my ass. Apologize when I do. I just it's like today, it's hard to know what's real out there to find people of my level of integrity uh, distinction between an ethical man and a moral man. An ethical man knows not to cheat on his wife. A moral man won't. Trying to watch your talk. That's, that's where integrity lies. And each of us walk a different yeah. And that's okay. It's holding true to your values. And they change, and I am changing. I don't trust anybody anymore. <laughs> I don't want to be that. <laughs> fire, liar, pants on fire. Man, <laughs> you know, it's terrible out there. And you can't read them anymore. And the younger generation, they just, it's, um, good luck. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. And I'll definitely I will post all these links to your websites in the notes so my listeners yeah. can find you and buy your books. If you have questions, I'm available. I, I pick up the phone and I talk to anybody. I also uh, could use volunteers. I have a shopping list of people I need. I have more than 40 manuscripts ready to go to press. I don't have the money to do it, like the non-local mind and my books on pathworking magic. Um, what I'm doing, it costs about five grand per title. I've done this for a long time, 40, 50 years of publishing books. So what I'm doing now is I have a patron request for five grand, choose a title that will get that book in print. You're repaid your five grand and a 10% plus your name in the book for making it happen. Mm -hmm. It's not the best return, but it's within one year. And yeah. so 10% within one year, and you're supporting a topic that might be important to you, plus you're getting recognition for it. The course that I'm doing right now, anybody that registers for this first course is going to go into that children's book for making that happen. And that book might become, Oak Institute might become seriously important in the distant future. I, a friend of mine has, uh, I think it's Project Rainbow, where they have an algorithm that looks into the future. And uh, they said, uh, Cliff High, some others, they said that if I get this off the ground this year, a six-year-old's child will never know war. It's, <laughs> we're already in another kind of war, so, right. you know, but we won't ever experience a world war like we had. It'll be, there'll be war like we're experiencing right now, internal, inside each of us kind of thing. Uh, but uh, in terms of physical wars, uh, six-year-old children 
we'll probably never know war if we set this new direction in educational reform. So that's my goal. And I need a lot of help. I'm going to be taking Albert Schweitzer University, which is what I started it with. That is going to be a Harry Potter school on magic run by a bunch of magicians from all over the world, of which I am going to be just one instructor. I'm not going to be the one running it. <laughs> I told them I'll teach my course in magic at that university. Uh -huh. And that will be the Harry Potter school. What I'm doing is something even way different. And that's the epiphany that I had where I'm no longer teaching children. What I'd like to do is enable. And that means asking them what do they want to know and then giving them what I know and getting out of their way. And that's what I'm doing. I, I totally agree with that. Let them decide the course that they want to take rather than forcing something in that's, you know, that what society wants basically is what we do. We just program them. We don't <laughs> enable them to learn. And what they're teaching them now is less than a quarter of what you or I were given when we went to school. I went to public schools. They always used to threaten me to parochial school if I was bad. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> and so I had threatened me to go down. And I, everything I did, I did well. I, you know, athletics, educational, blah, blah, blah. I was on the big team. I was on junior class play. <laughs> I did a bunch of stuff. But um, actually, there is a reason we need education changes because what I know is what I don't know. And they're smarter than we are. Yeah. I agree. So thank you for being on my show. My pleasure. And it was great talking to you. I'm going to definitely have you back. Yeah, when you get it all buttoned up and everything, give me a copy so that I can post it everywhere for you. I'll send you. I, um, yeah, I'll send you an email with all the links to it. And, yeah. and always call me if you ever need me. You got you. it. I'll definitely be back in touch with you. Yeah, nice talking with you, Joe. Thank you, you too. Thank you so much. Yes, sir. Au revoir. Leaving. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Everything Imaginable. Please like and review this podcast on whatever platform you are using. It helps this podcast move up in the ranks and easier for people to find. Also, tell your friends, family, co-workers, and even that weird uncle. You tell it be that weird uncle. If anyone wants to be a guest, you can email me at everythingimaginable2020 at gmail.com. I'm also on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, and LinkedIn. My website is www.everythingimaginable2020.com. On Patreon is patreon.com forward slash everythingimaginable. You can make a donation to support this podcast. Remember, everything that is was first imagined. Thank you for listening and see you next week. You know, yes, you can also buy my book, Enlightenment Guarantee. 
the only book on Zen you'll ever need. It's available on Amazon, Kindle, and paperback.